Welcome back to episode 25 of the Blockrunner podcast. Here is where we discuss the latest in crypto. You can watch this podcast on our YouTube channel to follow along with our discussion. As always, I am your host, William, talking with your co-host, Iman. Today, we bring on a special guest. His name is Daniel Garcia, the creator and owner of PolygonalMind.com that offers 3D modeling services for things like Decentraland and other virtual platforms. And here are the topics we'll be discussing today. First up, we get an introduction on how Daniel got started creating assets for Decentraland and how he got into cryptocurrencies overall. Next, we discuss the addictive nature of World of Warcraft and how it contributes positively to society. Then we discuss the impact of Neuralink and the potential hacking hazards it may cause. And finally, we get an outsider's perspective on mass shootings in the United States. All right, let's listen in. So, so Daniel, you're in Spain right now. Um, I think we got connected via Maddie, right? Maddie, yeah, it was Maddie that connected us, and I guess you've spoken to Maddie before. Uh, not sure. Uh, Maddie, we... Maddie from DCO Blogger. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. I talked with him uh, through Twitter, also some Discord. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he made a video not too long ago exploring the um, the project you guys are working on in Decentraland. Which... Oh, yeah. The Which escape room. It's an escape room. It looks like a like a bunker type yeah. experience. So yeah. that's how we got turned on to uh, that that whole scene. Yeah, yeah. So I think we stumbled upon Decentraland, and um, and then we I guess we fell in love with it <laughs> in a sense. Yeah, we've been hooked ever since we found out about it. What like two months ago? Yeah, and yeah. and um, I think we started doing research on Decentraland. We found Maddie. We interviewed Maddie that following week. Mm-hmm. He told us, explained everything, to, and and to keep keep in mind, when we found Decentraland, there you couldn't play it. It was just an idea in a sense. It was just a website, and it was just like concepts and everything. Yeah. And so we were talking to Maddie before it actually launched beta, and we were asking him like, "How is this going to look? Like, how is this going to work? Are people actually yeah. going to walk around in this space?" And, exactly. And uh, so we were just completely fascinated. And just I think like three weeks ago, the beta started, mm-hmm. and then we realized that there was an escape room in in Decentraland, which I thought was brilliant because in Decentraland, there's a limited amount of space. Mm-hmm. And so exactly. if you take that idea and you apply it in the virtual world, well, then you just, the world, the real world is limited with space. So mm-hmm. then you take those ideas and just apply it in the virtual world and you have a cool escape room. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how we found you. And I think after a couple of weeks, um, after our, our podcast with, with Maddie, it was like, you guys need to talk to Polygonal Mind. Yeah, exactly. And so here you are, Daniel. <laughs> so I guess everyone uh, gets hooked to the central land once you know and learn more about the concept. No, absolutely. Um, so I want to talk to you about uh, a little bit of kind of your thoughts on Decentraland and just just to go off from like your idea from Decentraland, the ability to uh, be able to own digital assets in the game. How is that different from your previous like experience in making games in the past before? How does that change like how you approach making a you know, an asset for a game? Uh, well, as you, as you know, when you have like NFTs, uh, you have to make just one of each. So you, I guess the question is like making uh, a way that you can replicate the model and have small changes. Uh, but yeah, it, it doesn't really change much. We, we usually work with uh, mobile game developers. So we are used to the huge limitations when it comes to make low poly style, which is something that Decentraland needs because every land has like a huge, you know, limitation of polygons. Like it's like only 10 case, I think, per land. Right. And right. 
Yeah, so we just took the knowledge we had from the mobile game and try, trying to apply into Decentraland. And since we didn't have like many lands to try on, we sure. just took the one we had and see like if we could do something interesting in just one land. That's oh. how the escape room idea came up. No, that's brilliant. Um, like, like I said, it's it's you know Decentraland kind of forces you to kind of think inside the box within the limitations. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, and and escape room is just it's really smart because you're taking advantage of those limitations as best you can. Um, so, so Daniel, what's your, what's your background in history with cryptocurrencies? Are you into Bitcoin and Ethereum and all that? Uh, to be honest, I started to be more interested in the crypto when I <clears throat> learned more about the central end. Yeah. I, okay. like you guys, I started like a few months ago. Well, for me, it was like November last year or something mm-hmm. when I started to know more about this. Uh, then I figured out that there was no, like, not enough developers yet into mm-hmm. the field. And also I found out that uh, our art style could fit into the central and, and could also stand out. So I, I thought that it was like a really cool concept and we could like uh, start working on. So we started to have clients who wanted some development on their, their lands, like private landowners. Mm-hmm. And then they, those of those clients started to offer us to pay on crypto. And that's when I thought, thought like, okay, uh, this is not something, mm-hmm. uh, this is not a joke anymore. People is paying me to do my work in crypto, so I should learn more about it. And, uh, you know, you start Googling, you start researching something, and then you just use it like every day. It's, uh, okay, so... I guess you have like, um, how to say it, it's difficult in the beginning. You you have this, this this way of thinking that maybe cryptocurrencies are only for hackers or yeah. some, <laughs> yeah. way, uh, you know, people or just brokers. Yeah. But then you start to see that you can use it every day, and actually you can save money instead of using bank payments, for example. That, no, that's 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 so true because um, there's there's a lot of talk on the differences between fiat currency and cryptocurrency in that crypto it encourages you to save money. And fiat encourage you to spend money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Daniel, what's your experience in terms of like getting paid in crypto? Has it been a frictionless experience as, you know, it's supposed to be designed that way? Um, I guess the, the hardest part is like uh, if you never get into exchange, it's just seeing down and seeing that it's just number. It's not just you're using or getting all your money uh, when you see like, green and red numbers going on all the time just sure. try to be focused only on a few tests that you can really do but uh, the thing is uh, i had to figure out a way to get my money into euros and i see if you for example you get paid in mana you will have to exchange it for ethereum mm-hmm. then you euros. or if you want to have dollars the same but with dollars it is this kind of thing that you have to uh, like okay so i have this currency how can i make it euros and, or i have euros how can i like transfer to this guy the amount he wants once you have that and just you do it a couple of times it just become very easy it's like this yeah, account. it's just a new kind of a new step that you have to take in order to pay the bills, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. your phone company is not going to take mana for payment, so you're going <laughs> to have to change it. Well, they can always yeah, exchange it out, right? Like uh, if there's a wallet that's yeah. properly built to seamlessly convert mana to uh, Bitcoin sure. or, you know, that's like true. an automated process or something like that, it can make it easier. That, that brings up a good question. Daniel, do you use like BitPay or any of the crypto quote-unquote processors that that do the transfer for you 
Have you thought about uh, that? We use we just use MetaMask and then go to Coinbase and then from Coinbase just figure out what happens. Yeah. Okay. Simple enough. So I, I guess um, I, I'm a, I'm just assuming that you you your clients I would say a small percentage of your clients pay in crypto. The rest of your clients pay in, in fiat currency in euros. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, the clients that are not related to the central land yeah, are okay. paid in dollars or euros or whatever. Yeah, let's talk about those. But, those uh, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So what's the main platform you guys are designing for a virtual reality platform that's out there besides the central land? Uh, well, we, last year we made the challenge of making 100 characters in 100 days. Uh-huh. And then uh, this is a Instagram challenge I, I made. So the thing is, we thought like, okay, what can we do with this, uh, with this 100 characters we have just on our hard drive with nothing? Yeah. You know, so why, why don't you just uh, like make it, we tr- can transform this into avatars. So we started to break them and uploading them into VR chat. Mm-hmm. And then the guys on VR chat were like very excited about it. And then we said, okay, uh, let's, let's try to upload it in more places. And that's what we're doing. We are trying to have these characters and upload them in everywhere. Like if you have a rig, a model rig, mm-hmm. you can easily do it in different platforms. Each one has like a few steps until you upload something. Mm-hmm. So once you learn it, you once you try it a couple of times, it's just very easy. You can just write it down and hand it in to someone to do it for you. Mm, interesting. So um, <clears throat> in the uh, 100 avatars in 100 days, it's funny. I did a uh, hundred cryptocurrencies in hundred days, and I failed. I only got up to like eighty six. Yeah, and uh, yeah, pretty close. It, it was close. It was it was very close. Um, the thing with a hundred um hundred things in a hundred days for Instagram is you're trying to optimize Instagram's algorithm because mm-hmm. if you post on a daily basis. Um, your interactions and the and Instagram shares your posts to more people yeah. the more often that you post. So that's mm-hmm. sort of kind of like the idea in Instagram. Um, so yeah. were you able to complete your hundred avatars? Yeah. Oh, that's that's amazing. And they all <laughs> exist in VR chat uh, today. Uh, yeah, for now, yes. I think they are only available in VR chat. Uh, we are trying to upload it to Neos VR. Neo. I think we will release. It. The thing is. Uh, by the end of the year, we will release them as uh, open source avatars, so anyone can just oh, awesome. upload them into their platform. So let's say tomorrow uh, someone creates you know, another platform and wants to have some content, mm-hmm. they can just get those avatars and upload them themselves. That's wow. the idea. But uh, mm-hmm. to say that we want to also, like, we, we saw that most of the characters that are available for people are anime characters. Yeah, I don't know if you notice, like they're most of them are anime. Yeah, uh, and there are yeah. some people that is against that. Like, I don't like anime. I mean, I, I like it, but I, there's people that doesn't like that. So they are trying to look for other stuff, and there is like a huge gap of things that you can do, and people is not uh, still developing characters for that. So, so um, uh, uh, are these avatars on Unity, or what? What uh, engine are you using? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Unity? Yeah, to upload them into VRChat, you have to use Unity. Okay. Uh, they are all rigged with Mixamo, which is also very common, pretty common standard for creating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, if you want to know how we did it, we use ZBrush and then use Maya and then just use Mixamo for the rigging. Mm, interesting. So it's not that you only do the do them into Unity. The Unity is like the last step into uploading to a platform. 
Okay. Oh, I see. So you're pretty much neutral when it comes to all these platforms because I've noticed, I just discovered one this morning actually called mm-hmm. Somnius uh, Space, I believe it's is what it's called. Son- Somnium Space. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's several. VR Chat, I think, was one of the original concept VR worlds that I heard of that has a huge community, very active, a lot of big player base that's actual, uses the actual virtual reality, you know, uh, hardware right. to play the game. Right. So where do you see the virtual reality space as it stands today? Uh, maybe comparing it to how the video game industry started? Um uh, Back in the late '80s, early '90s, like what phase do you think um, this industry is is currently at, and where can it go? For for me, I think we are uh, in the '80s of the game development. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's uh, hilarious. Yes, arcade. Like when the thing is for now, the the hardware is a bit expensive for everyone, and yeah. also you you need like a real space in your house or real space wherever you want to play. Yeah. So. I think this is an arcade mode. Like they're going, the, almost of, almost of the experience that people display in are just like one match and a bit, like let's say Beat Saber, or for mm-hmm. example, I'm playing a game that is called In Death. Like every time you play, you spend like 50 minutes and then you die, and then you can. Right. You know, it's like short time experience, and I think that's uh, that's pretty interesting because people is not realizing that uh, we can make VR arcades again a real thing into real life. Uh, China is already doing it, and uh, how to say it? I think there's enough people paying attention to that. Like we are in the arcade mode, not like in the beginning of the arcade mode. In I I believe in the next few years we will be seeing arcades into the cities, like VR arcades that people will go there and hang out and try to beat the score between each other. Like I don't know if you guys play Dance Dance Revolution, but yes. you know there there is yes. You know that you have to go to the arcade to play it. Yep. Yeah. And you will have like a hangout person and people playing out over there, right? Yeah. Well, I think in the next few years, we will see that with Beat Saber and also with other competitive oh, games. Interesting. Yeah. And that's when I think people is going to learn more about VR and see it as a normal thing. And later on, those two steps, it will become mainstream. But we're still in the face of like, uh, spread awareness of VR. So, so Daniel, um, I'm not sure, I don't know if you can answer this, but I've always wondered in the difference between a VR world and a virtual world, just like, let's say you're playing on a computer game. Like World of Warcraft. Like World of Warcraft. Yeah. yeah. So my question is, why is a virtual reality world require such more, much more processing power than a game like uh, WoW or a game like Crisis? Or, or like Rust or, or Halo. Like, why yeah. does it require more power um, to, to run a VR game than just a regular game? Okay, so when you play a real game, just, let's say World of Warcraft, okay, you're running into one screen, mm-hmm. right? Okay. The thing is, when you use VR, you're using two screens, one for True. each eye, so you need a double of power. And I'll also add that you need like a high computer to run most VR games because they are trying to like only running in high-end devices. That's why uh, now we are starting to see uh, Oculus Quest, for example, that is a very powerful device that, okay, you have uh, maybe visual limitations, but the freedom without the cable is just uh, powerful enough to just don't care about high-end looking shit. So, okay, <clears throat> so now you have two screens and each screen has to run at high frame rates because yeah. if if you run at below 120 frames per second, you you get this uh, motion sickness 
mm, from yeah. from virtual reality. Yeah. And so yeah. if you up the frame rate, it becomes more smoother, and therefore you can you can actually move linearly in the game yeah. without getting sick. Yeah. Because I've seen early on in virtual reality that um, as soon as you put that headset on and then you just move forward in the game, people instantly get sick just because their visual feedback to the brain is 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 not compatible with what's actually happening on the screen. Mm. And so um so so that makes a lot more sense now. I don't know why I've always had this question, but it makes a lot of sense. There's two screens, each screen is running at least 120 frames per second. That's that's on the minimum side, right? You want more like 240 frames per second. Yeah. Um also like <clears throat> Don't the like the input or the output that the user generates by you know the movement that they create isn't that also a bigger yeah. m- more so than a mouse and a keyboard right? That's isn't true. that also yeah. a bigger requirement as far as uh, computation goes? Or no, that's that's a good point. Yeah, because now you're you're not only tracking the individual yeah. player in the game, but you're tracking like all these points, fingers, and, exactly, and yeah. like feet and stuff. So yeah, that makes sense. So in um, the 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 is there a difference between creating content for virtual reality than it is creating content for like a regular game, like avatars and so forth? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're, you're crea- just creating like a model and everyone can use it, but both in these just regular games that you are. But if you're uh, looking into having like a proper gameplay or also like a competing environment that can be uh, used, you have to think about how the person is going to see it uh, inside the game. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, uh, for example, when you create a game, you can just run with your avatar and freely and check out very easily. But if, mm-hmm. when you create it, uh, a VR experience, you have to put your heads, your headset, and see that if you're uh, in sync. Oh, I see. Yeah, with the with the world or in sync with your idea. And so, I, I guess it takes a bit longer. So this is like a, basically a different testing mechanism, right? You you just don't test yeah. your your avatar by just pointing and clicking around you have to actually put the headset on and and see if it, yeah. it works and and then whatever content that you're creating for your game in the vr world you have you have to go in into the vr world and like walk around it let's say you're making a virtual uh, virtual car mm-hmm. you have to get in and walk around it just to make sure that the perspectives are correct the mm-hmm. height is correct exactly. and, and yeah. you won't you won't get the same feedback just on a computer screen right it just loses no. that fact yeah i guess you could you can entrain yourself to eventually right. uh, but eventually you'll have to use your your headset because if you're making a VR experience, it makes no sense that you're not using VR. Yeah. It's like if you're developing for mobile and you don't test it on your phone, it's, it doesn't no, make sense. Absolutely. What about those uh, creation tools where you put the headset on, but you can create within the game? Like there's these drawing okay. tools and... Yeah, I use them. Uh, I use Steelbrush, which is like a, the most famous one. Yeah. Uh, they are fun. I mean, you can. We use them as SketchUp's, like trying to do concepts, and then you can export them and use, uh, and then build on top of them. That's that's something cool. Yeah. I also try those one that you can do three D polygonal three D, but I was not very happy about them because they were a bit clunky. Yeah. They were still not. It's not granular uh, enough, right? You you can't get that fine detail when you're moving your hand. Like if it would be different if if VR could track your fingers and your your slight movements and you can probably get that fine detail that you would on a mouse or with a pin and a and a Wacom yeah. tablet. 
Um, but uh, I think I think you're right. I think the best use case for like in virtual reality creation mechanisms or systems is for sketching. Kind of like kind of like we built uh, 3D uh, printers today. It's really just a mock-up of a of a 3D device mm-hmm. in in the real world. That way, you can send that to a manufacturer and say, okay, make this in in metal, cast this in metal, mm-hmm. and so they have Software. a better idea of what to make. Mm. So that's that's really Software. cool. Um, one of the things that I was curious about is the ability. So I like to look at things in like superpowers. Like for example, if you can code, if you have, if you're a developer, that's probably one of the biggest superpowers there are in the world. Just because you can make anything that you want, right? An application, a video game, you can uh, make an exchange where you're doing funds trading and all kinds of crazy stuff with coding. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think another superpower is design, is mm-hmm. being able to create things, you know, and and put them in a game or put a greater great user interface. So I think now with blockchain, that that superpower of design is actually much more powerful than it was before simply because of NFTs. Yeah. So once like for example they they sold that uh, that Formula 1 car for like $100,000. Mm-hmm. I mean someone like like you Daniel could have designed that car and that design could have been sold for $100,000. Now I don't know I don't know too much about like your your history of transactions. But I would imagine that if you create a virtual car and it gets sold for a hundred thousand dollars, you're doing pretty pretty well, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess it will depend. Let's say you you spend three months making those NFTs, yeah. and you have like a team of five, then one hundred. One hundred thousand dollars not not a whole lot. It's not that much. Yeah, <laughs> that's you a good point. Only sell that one, right? But I guess those guys will have sold all of them. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. It's like uh, the Crypto Kitties. I would imagine it doesn't take a whole lot of design experience to make those little cats, mm-hmm. but those cats are being sold for thousands of dollars. So that was a pretty good return yeah. on investment. Yeah, I don't think they expected uh, whenever they're creating and designing these uh, NFTs. There's no way to predict, you know, the what the yeah, virality the of it. True. You know, whether or not something's going to take off or not, right? That's determined by the market. I guess that's the this is that's the new concept that's being introduced with this whole blockchain merging with. Uh, the video game industry, I assume. There's, there's other platforms out there with Engine, and uh, there's a few others as well where people like Daniel can create unique products in these virtual worlds. But it also opens up uh, yeah. an experience for gamers to no longer like do we ever going to spend hours just playing a video yeah. game for <laughs> no reward, right? Right, right, right. Like we can actually earn unique items that have true value assigned to them, yeah, and are exchangeable. So yeah, and somebody who doesn't play a game can actually buy that asset that you earned yeah. in in that game, that NFT asset. Mm-hmm. Which to me, that's you know, I, when you were growing up, Daniel, I, um, did you play a lot of video games? Uh, yeah, I played a huge amount of hours to World of Warcraft. Yeah, oh, have you been playing the classic WoW that came out last week? I don't play World of Warcraft anymore. <laughs> no more time. <laughs> Good idea. Stay away from it. Yeah, I, can't. I know if I grab that game, I will uh, spend in like the next three months just playing it. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe just three months. So I just can't afford that anymore. Yes, I can't. Yeah, I can report to you. Yeah, it's just as addicting as it was 15 years ago. It's oh, just yeah. as awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, uh, the thing is, I was a uh, uh, how to say it? I was a hardcore player back in Vanilla WoW. Uh, oh, yeah. I used to raid the Xramas back at the end, oh, and yeah. it was exhausting. Uh, then we, I went to Burning Crusade, and also spent a huge amount of hours being a paladin in the Horde. Mm-hmm. Um, then I just started to slowly play less and less and less. But it, because 
for me, the best rated, the best rates in the game were what there was forty people in it. Oh, of course. Um, that was. I'm the... guessing if I play again, I will be extremely addicted to see this. Just stay away from it. <laughs> yeah, I think the beauty of the game, what people are just now, because the video game industry has gotten so greedy and mm. so they 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 they're maximizing profits over game experience, right? Yeah. Uh, but back in the day. The reason why WoW was so revolutionary was the community aspect of that game. Yeah. Um, but nowadays, games are more focused on selling mobile products or like you know microtransactions with loot boxes, loot boxes. and stuff like that. Yeah, which is yeah. a big gray area these days. Uh, so uh, has has the game changed in that in in from a monetizing standpoint? Uh, classic WoW has it added loot boxes in any any of that stuff? No, no, it's just, it's the same exact same game. Oh, it was they, the exact they literally same game. just copied the code from the original game mm, and just okay. relaunched it on new servers, essentially. So, so hold on. So let me understand. So th- it's the exact same game. Like the visuals haven't even been upgraded. I think there was a small upgrade in the visuals, but it's the same game. Like uh, mm. all the patches that are being released are coming in the same order as they really in 2004. Everything's the same. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's shocking, dude. <laughs> I, stay away, how, stay how, away, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like a drug. It really is. I know. I know. I know it's like a drug, man. I, let me, let me tell you, uh, the main, main reason that I'm talking to you guys right now is because I play that fucking game. <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> it, yes. Because, uh, when I started playing it, like in 2004, uh, it was only in English. There was no Spanish translation to the game. Oh, that's I had crazy. to play wow. the fucking game with a dictionary next wow. to my keyboard. Wow. That's amazing. Because, you know, back then the, the internet was super slow. And yeah. If someone called you, you're you fucked. Yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, you couldn't just Google it as you see it right now. So yeah. I had to play with a dictionary and try to understand the other guys talking to me because I was addicted to the game. And I, right. I figured out that it was a, a multiplayer game. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know. It's just too much. No, well, that 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 obviously attracted you to the virtual reality space that you're in today too. I feel like because there's so many correlations. World of Warcraft, I think, is one of the biggest it's possible virtual experiences that like yeah. humanity's created. I can like believe I said, it. That communal aspect that it was. It's it's it, it's a, it, it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't tried it. You know, I I have not tried it, Daniel. I yeah. I think w- when it first came out, I think I was starting college. So I was like, yeah. my mind was like somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And oh, I was a kid. I, I failed too many exams. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I was 14 when the game yeah. was released. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, me too. Same age. So you're about 29, 30, something like that? Yeah, 29. A couple yeah. Of weeks, awesome. So. so, okay. So we kind of understand using World of Warcraft as like a baseline of, of uh, what do you want to call it? I don't want to call it addiction, but immersion. Like that is the, yeah. the perfect example of a, yeah. a game that created an immersive universe for players to really get hooked into. And in many cases, prioritize their <laughs> online experience over their real life yeah. existence. You know what I mean? Right. So virtuality yeah. is the next step, the next phase of that. See, I, I would agree with that. I think I think that I, there's, there's, a, there's a phase before that I think that's going to really take over. Imagine, and so the reason why I'm bringing this up, Daniel, is imagine all that time you spent playing WoW back in the day, mm-hmm. that time spent had earned you NFTs. Yeah. Where those NFTs could have been reused right now in this new game, right? Well, rehashed, the, same game. You remember Thunder Fury, uh, the, the blessing? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I remember uh, one guy in my, in my server back in the day sold his account for $10,000. Oh, so, damn. Uh, I mean, uh, the thing is... Uh, NFTs bring 
like uh, fair trade to to pay items, it doesn't mean that it's new. People was buying items. That's a good point. Diablo one, two, and they were already doing market with them. The, the thing is that you are not doing clear transfer transactions and safe transactions. So that's, I totally agree. You're absolutely right. You could have still sold your account for, you know, like you're saying, $10,000. I think there's a, there's an added factor when it comes to NFTs from a developer's perspective. Yeah. That, that item that you're talking about may only exist one or two units of in the entire game. Yeah. Well, there were, there are items like that in World of Warcraft. They're called, uh, what were they called? They're orange. They're (laughs) legendary. Legendary. And they're very, very rare. Yeah. Yeah. But see, that's. That's artificial scarcity, meaning the developers have put an artificial constraint within the game, and there's there's only so many of those items. Yeah. But when you put NFTs into perspective or put NFT functionality into a game, mm-hmm. there is not artificial scarcity. There is yeah. actual scarcity. There is only two of those items in the whole game. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. from a developer's perspective, you're putting a you're putting extreme amount of value in an asset that you're creating. And once the user who happens to win this or earn this or by random roll, you know, get this item, I mean, that's going to be extremely valuable. And then once you put that into an, a market, like uh, what's that uh, NFT um, exchange? Open OpenSea. Open yeah. Like that, yeah. Once you put it at OpenSea, then you can see the true market value of that asset. Yeah. I mean. And with interoperability, it can be, you know, good in one game or the next. Yeah, you know, exactly. You can play it with. You know, that sword can be just as valuable in another game. Yeah, and, and Which, we were having this conversation where that, yeah. that one valuable sword that's really good in, in WoW, mm-hmm. I mean, you could put that sword as a developer, you could take that NFT and put that sword on top of a car for your racing game, mm-hmm. just as for the looks yeah. um, and, and the notoriety that you have the one sword mm-hmm. that everybody's looking for in, in WoW. But, you know, things like that could break the game because you're the only one who can have it and, you know, yeah. it depends. But I have a feeling that kids growing up now with the and right now NFTs are not really prevailing in video games. But once they are, kids growing up now playing the next generation of WoW with NFTs, mm-hmm. they're gonna they're gonna be earning actual currency, cryptocurrency in a sense yeah. that that yeah, yeah, yeah. you won't you won't have that feeling of time spent and and yeah. lost in a video game anymore. Yeah, no longer will parents like chastise their kids. Who knows that a parent or a kid could get an item and pay off their parents' mortgage. That's with, exactly right. <laughs> you know, one day. Yeah. It's a possibility, right? That hasn't yeah, been there Yeah, it's before. a possibility, yeah. So do you, do you, do you, you think we're going to get there to that point? Uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe yes. Uh, the thing is, for example, the, the, now I'm playing a lot of time VR, VR chat and I'm trying to play like uh, immersive games in yeah. VR. I, and I found out, for example, in VR chat, there are these small communities that behave very similar to the communities that I saw behaving in World of Warcraft when I was a kid. Yes. So mm-hmm. I'm seeing these kids spending a lot of time in VR, right? So these kids are 14, 15, uh, 12, you know, the, the same age that I got hooked to World of Warcraft. Yeah. Just imagine if you are a kid and you got hooked into World of Warcraft VR. It's just, just you're going to just go bananas. Go it's over. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's I mean, that's the, that's the, the thing is, uh, virtual reality can be really immersive. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can, I think it will bring some new questions like, uh, who are you? Uh, mm-hmm. If you are like, uh, you know, people will be spending more time into other realities than real life. Uh, you know, I haven't so really... So eventually people will be, <laughs> just, uh, will be thinking if, <laughs> 
real yeah. life is actually real. So. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I haven't really thought about that, though, Daniel. Like, it, the f- philosophical standpoint from a virtual reality game, mm-hmm. if you spend that much time in a virtual reality as a WoW game, yeah, your identity yeah. becomes that character now. Oh, yeah. So yeah. You, you have less incentive to be outside in the real world where you're not as powerful, cool, yeah. or interesting. I mean, I mean, it happened to me when I was a kid. I prefer to stay at home playing my warlock than just going out and having just what you want. Yeah. So, so imagine if now you the, the, the warlock is in your headset and yeah. you just can play all the time and spending all the time in this game. So this is like a new level of immersion that we are seeing. So See, and- eventually people just, I think they, some of them will have trouble like figuring out if real life is... Yeah, it, it's it's a bigger deal now because, <clears throat> excuse me. But also, let's you got to keep in mind this phenomenon, the social. This is really a social yeah. phenomenon. Yeah, it's not going to be yeah. limited just to video games either. No, uh, that's yeah, true. Of course, that's the thing. People is looking at video games because video games are spectacular and are like yeah, yeah, you know. But uh, it's actually less in part of VR. It's having immersion. I I mean. You, you know, people is using it for teaching meds. They are teaching yeah. for teaching. VR is going to be the best tool that you can have. Yeah, also, for sure. you will have uh, meeting rooms. Like for example, we could be now hanging yeah. out. In- That's true. <laughs> we cool, have our own man. avatars. We be chilling in our own room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of watching the screen. So exactly. Yeah, that's it's gonna... going to be huge in different ways. Wow. Yeah, this it's a bigger deal. Uh, this is an it's... actual concern because. When when you start confusing your identity with this virtual world, which which it, it may not be uh, a, such a bad thing in in a sense, because um, it, it could encourage you know a higher um, self worth when you have you know a game like that. Uh-huh. But but the, the the kind of the scary thing about this is that the player in that virtual world could be earning actual money yeah, playing exactly. that game. Exactly. And so there's even a more incentive to be in that world because yeah. you can earn money versus the real world where it's potentially more difficult to earn money. Yeah. I mean I don't I don't I don't envision the end game of, you know, by building real economies into virtual reality uh worlds where every player is going to be banking and rolling in Lamborghinis, oh, no. you know what I mean? No, no, for sure. <laughs> It'll be just like how video gaming is today. Only the hardcore players oh, for sure. for will sure. will get that reward. But the incentive is there. Yeah. Like you said, like kids these days, I guess the incentive is to just top leaderboards, essentially, yeah. or be first to a goal. You know, be the first guy to rock that full armor set, right? That's the incentive structure. So to get the in-game glory yeah. and the social, it's, it's the same rules that apply to real life. Yeah. Are in the virtual life, you know, the same social st- structure. Yeah. That's the thing. Uh, the, 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 the thing that you spend a lot of time into a virtual reality world, it doesn't mean that you're not learning uh, useful skills that you can use in your real life. Yeah, uh, true. Uh, I mean, I learned how to speak English. I learned, yeah. I became, point. eventually, I became the officer of warlocks and then the officer of paladins. And I was like having responsibilities and learning how to manage a team, how do they so behave in. So such a good point. Monster. So it's like you're learning how to roll, uh, you know, how to do things that you will later on use on yeah, your life. That's a good because point. You're, you're learning teamwork after all. And that's a very important skill, I think. And even something like that, that, that a huge piece of education that lacks, at least here in the United States, as far as our education, is financial knowledge. Oh, yeah. And in games like World of Warcraft, yeah. you learn how to manage your finances <laughs> real quick. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I mean, 
back in the day in World of Warcraft, uh, you had brokers, like uh, yeah. people who will just spend a huge amount of hours in front of the action house, uh, redoing value of all the items just so they can earn more gold and then wow. sell those gold. Exactly. So, wow. I mean, I spend that time. I I know that people is doing it in a way more immersive way than I am. Yeah, I, that's crazy. It, so they had brokers kind of like assess like, value of of yeah. like armor and well, it's like an auction, right? It's an auction house. So okay. it's, yeah, it's an auction house. Mm-hmm. You, you, I mean, you can speculate with whatever you want. For exactly. example, you can buy linen cloth, all the linen cloth in the in the auction house, and then you repost it. All that you got for expensive. Uh, price. So the next one who's going to buy is only going to find your linen cloth with this Interesting. Uh, value. So it was already happening. I mean, there's not, it's not new. NFTs are not new. It's just another exactly. level of weight. Yeah. And a lot of people attribute the creation of Bitcoin to World of Warcraft in a way. Do they really? Uh, I do. Oh. <laughs> As a World of Warcraft. Just, just the idea of getting human beings familiar with the idea of a digital currency oh for sure like world of warcraft i mean there's other games yeah there's been prototypes to virtual currencies before like before bitcoin before bitcoin yeah yeah bitcoin is it's gonna take a while for the mass you know the mainstream to adopt it but gamers we've we're okay with it we're cool with it yeah (laughs) you know we value gold pretty highly especially if you're really into that game you know yeah so yeah yeah, i I remember growing up um you know playing nintendo playing nes there was a lot of words that I didn't know. I mean, uh, I, my my first language was Spanish, by the way, and um, I, I learned English going to school. But uh, but yeah. a lot of the vocabulary that I learned was from video games. Yeah, I didn't know yeah, what. Se- yeah. yeah, I didn't know what select meant. I didn't know what ammo was. Yeah, I didn't know ammo was short for ammunition. True. You know, there's there's a lot of vocabulary in video games that. Uh, that teach players, you know, these new words. Yeah. And then not not only that, I mean, you take that to the next level, the economy of a game. Yeah. It that's teaches a big one. it teaches you how to earn um how to you, save. How to save and then purchase <laughs> like you you can't just purchase everything at any time that you want, right? Exactly. It, it starts instilling these these values into the gamer. Yeah. So so obviously I'm pro gaming all the oh, way. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um but you know there are some people who have died playing video games, right? But those that's an extreme case, right? That's like extremely rare. I mean, uh, there's always going to be people who die of an excessive or yeah. something. You can die of just drinking water. It's true. You drink too much water. It's true. <laughs> it's just, I mean, when I was a kid, I played for Warcraft 72 hours in a row. Never repeated it ever again because it was just so painful. Yeah. So, if you see that it's like something that you want to enjoy and just die playing, I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's up to you, right? It's not uh, like a huge problem, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, yeah, I mean, obviously gaming is, is going to go to the another level with virtual reality, but a blockchain, I think it has us, our attention at the moment. And with blockchain, I, I see... One of the things I discovered, I, I moved all my cryptocurrency from from exchanges to a ledger just recently. Uh-huh. And I discovered a couple of things that of the big cryptocurrencies, they they exist in a in, in the ledger in an interface where I can know my entire portfolio. But that's only one aspect in crypto. What I learned was crypto is really about the functionality of programmable money. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, an EOS and an EOS token, you can use that to stake and get uh, RAM and CPU usage of the network. Yeah. 
that isn't exactly obvious when you're just looking at the number of EOS tokens in a wallet, mm-hmm. right? You don't necessarily know. So to yeah. know that, you have to do a bunch of research. Yeah. And then once you have do that research, you have to download the EOS wallet mm-hmm. in order to, to enable that functionality. Mm-hmm. And so w- what I learned was that, like you were saying, Daniel, this uh, video games or virtual realities in the 80s, of, of video games right now, cryptocurrencies yeah. is is not even, it's barely in the early 90s of the internet because it is definitely not easy to use cryptocurrencies at all. Yeah. And and the yeah. whole point of cryptocurrencies is that new programmable functionality that does not exist in, in regular currency. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and to use that functionality, you have to go download the EOS wallet. You have to go download the Link wallet. You have to download all these wallets. You have... 10 wallets open and you to to see how much EOS you have you have to open that wallet plug in your hardware device and see how many EOS yeah. you have to do the same thing for all these other wallets so we're still in in the extremely early stages and and I think what gets us excited about Decentraland is that we're in the same exact early stage mm. and and I feel like I don't know about you guys but I feel like when I was growing up and the internet was first starting to come out and and be used I feel like I missed the boat on participating on the internet and, and going, you know, making a startup company that, you know, ends up selling for a hundred million dollars just because I was too young. Mm-hmm. But now that we're able to take advantage of, you know, cryptocurrencies and blockchain and, and right now Decentraland, I feel like this is our internet. This is our chance to like make an, make, make an impact. So I feel like, you know, with, the virtual world, like in the eighties, that that actually excites me because mm-hmm. we're the ones creating the new foundations, the exactly. new standards, and and yeah. new yeah. new stuff. So that's kind of how I see things. I don't know, you know, what your thoughts are on on all that, Daniel. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, about virtual reality, yes, we're in the eighties. Uh, about being in the nineties of the internet, I don't know. The thing about blockchain is that it's going to be like the internet. Everyone is going to use it, but not everyone is going to know how it actually works. Like if you ask a random folk around the street if they know how the internet works, or what is a cloud, yeah. they will just tell you they don't know. You know, they're just using it and they just don't know what really is going on behind the screen. So that's a good I point. Think blockchain, blockchain is going to be the same. People is going to be using it, even though they don't really understand it or how it works, because it's actually a extreme complex, it's a bit complex concept that you have to drag them pay a bit of attention to learn about it. And if you if you see like it's a really extremely difficult thing, you are not going to yeah, absolutely keep on learning it. It's like the internet. Uh, the thing is, I think right now in the blockchain industry, there's only uh, programmers who are making this uh, thing that is very useful, but there are not many designers giving a functionality, a pleasing looking functionality for the wider audience. Sure, yeah. if, if you want to use crypto, you will have to. Okay, maybe Coinbase made this easier for just buying Ethereum or Bitcoins. Right. But there is still a lot of friction between other cryptos, other cryptocurrencies. And I, I imagine, for example, my girlfriend or my mom trying to buy yeah. Ethereum. Right. And try to have a use of it, and they will just like, why should I 
use Ethereum for anything. No, absolutely. I think that's the difference between like us making comparisons with the impact of the internet and how blockchain is going to impact the world because the internet didn't really actually disrupt anything. If anything, it just, it it improved everyone's lives, but blockchain and cryptocurrencies is really going to have a disruptive effect on finance. Absolutely. Of course, but the internet was necessary. I mean, uh, we are underestimating the power of the internet. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, it was incredibly powerful. <laughs> it, it, obviously, it changed everything. It connected the world, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's not like the... The um the interaction between humans yeah. will change fundamentally with blockchain and cryptocurrency simply because, for example, uh, fiat, we live on the foundation of fiat, which is basically money that is literally printed out of thin air, and there's infinite fiat. Yeah. And so once you change that paradigm into a, a cryptocurrency where there is no, there's no infinite Bitcoin, right? There is no infinite of these coins. Mm-hmm. You change how we interact with each other and how our financial systems work. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the internet, it just changed how we communicate with each other. Instead of making phone calls, we use email, text message, things like that, which is equally as powerful, but I think it's not as foundational and and um, important as how we how we manage our financial system. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at least that's from what I what I'm starting to pick up with blockchain. I think it's uh it is important, you know, that since we're so early in 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 the kind of the development of blockchain and the development of virtual reality, is that since we're that early, we get to set the ground rules, the groundwork, kind of like. Whenever the internet started, it was PCIP. You have to know IP addresses in order to go to a website and all that stuff. Once it becomes easier, um, there's going to be mainstream adoption, but we are definitely far, far away from that. I mean, yeah. it's it's not even... I thought we were closer. We're not that close because, like like you were saying, Daniel, like using Coinbase is very easy, right? You download the app, you put in your, your ID. It's, it's pretty good. The problem with Coinbase is that they hold your private keys. Mm-hmm. So if they get hacked, you lose your money. Yeah, there's insurance. But the point of crypto is that we become our own banks. Mm-hmm. And if that's the it's if that's the point, then we got to find easy ways for us to become our own banks mm-hmm. and still use the functionality of programmable money without having to understand what a blockchain is and what mining does and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. But, and that's why I feel like we're extremely far away from that. Yeah. Yeah, the thing about crypto is uh, the, the thing, most important thing that I think is going to change is that it's going to uh, change the value of the stuff. Like yeah. the way we see stuff, the value we, we can give to a cup of glass and change because you now maybe it's an NFT glass and the good right? Uh, yeah, the, the, it's, it's still very early. We will see a lot of people just uh, trying to do new things in the, in the next few years. And we are still far away to have like a mainstream use. But yeah. I don't think we're like that far away for seeing companies starting to use blockchain to improve their services. Yeah, so that's, as, that's... I, as I meant, people will use these services without sure. knowing there is blockchain behind it. You know, um, I think it was in July or was it June where they had the <clears throat> the E3 conference where uh, all the video games companies get together, and um, I watched I watched a lot of it, and I was surprised that I think blockchain was only mentioned one time, mm-hmm. like the word once. Yeah. The uh, the entire conference. Yeah. And I'm I'm I I have to assume that these companies are at least dabbling into blockchain and NFTs and all that stuff. But I was surprised that you know. There was only one mention, and um, it was it was not a huge deal. 
So do you think you think the gaming industry is going to have a blockchain kind of foundation in in may, maybe most of the games or at least a good percentage of them, Daniel? Uh, not anytime soon, that's for sure. But yeah. I'm sure a lot of companies are looking into cryptocurrency because they can add more value to their items, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, and that's something that if uh, the thing is with crypto, I I see in the future that maybe you just can buy a cryptocurrency of a game and then you drop this game and you can interchange the, the, the money that you had in this game into your future game. Yeah. So you will you will never be losing time playing between games because you will only have value into the stuff you're earning all the time. That's right. And that's something that video game developers are I'm sure they're aware of. Like uh, the thing is if you drop like the crypto or blockchain uh, work into the E3, people is going to just uh, look at the other way because uh, I think the gamers are still not uh, hmm. prepared or to, to see that there can be value on top of this. Yeah, that's true. I, I would imagine the average gamer doesn't really understand NFT tokens and the value that that could bring to kind of their gaming experience. But like yeah. you said, if you just keep all that lingo and all that technical stuff yeah. in the background and yeah. you just pitch to the your community or your player base that, yeah. hey, you can actually trade <laughs> this. <laughs> you can explain it simply to and get people interested just by saying, you know, what we've been talking about. Yeah. No longer are these items you're earning in game valueless you know absolutely it's it goes back to kind of what we were talking about it's like not everybody knows how credit card transactions work yeah um so just to give you a little bit of my background daniel so my background um i I started a company that was focused on uh credit card transactions and, and securing those credit card transactions so i had i had a complete understanding of how credit card transactions work and it is extremely complicated for for no reason, right? It uh-huh. literally, there's no reason it needs to be that complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was pitching this this idea to investors and clients and so forth, they didn't even know how credit card transactions work. And not well, for, forgetting the investors, but the the clients themselves who were supposed to know, they didn't even know. Mm-hmm. And so it's to to get you know virtual reality or blockchain. To a point where it can be pitched without explaining what a blockchain is, mm-hmm. we are very far away from that. Oh yeah, I mean it, that's what that's the revelation that I had in the last couple of days. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, the the first people who will jump in will be uh, hardcore players from games like yeah, where, you know, World like War, the if World Warcraft tomorrow says that it's going to open an actual house in crypto, although people will start to learn more about it and be more pronounced to uh, be open to crypto and blockchain. Yeah, yeah. And just like in World of Warcraft, back in the day, the hardcore players were the ones who were investing more time into it and learning all these techniques to uh, get gold, you know? So uh, I think you will need people who want to spend and invest time into learning it or some kind of, you know, you, you have to have a purpose. I, I didn't care about cryptocurrencies and until I have to get paid yeah, for clients. So uh, because I didn't saw any reason to use it before before that. So I guess all the people will have that same issue. Like I I don't have to use it or why should I learn about this? No, absolutely. So like, I care about this. But but let's say tomorrow Blizzard came in and say, okay, from tomorrow on 
cryptocurrencies are in the game. So there's a huge again amount of community that you have to learn about this shit if they want to play, to keep playing, or if they want to keep being competitive. And those who will be like the first learners, and then they will spread out into more games and more uh, communities. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think when you're when you're running a company, uh, you're not necessarily going out and just trying to learn about all the new developments out in the world. Not until no. your clients are asking you to say, hey, can you do this NFT, you know, avatar for me? It's like, well, what is an NFT? Then you got to do a bunch of research and it's like, oh, you know, this is actually very valuable. I got to learn this because mm-hmm. there's a, a market emerging here. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, I think, um, I think that's, that's what I see with Decentraland is that, so we're extremely early on in Decentraland and I think um, with what Decentraland could bring kind of to the gaming community is, is going to be, I think, more powerful than what previous games had at least from its its standpoint of what players can do within a game. Because typically, when you jump into a game, you can't really earn any money, like real money. You can earn virtual money that, that's just, you know, within the game. But in this case, in Decentraland, you can earn, like, actual currency, right? Real money. And so I think that new functionality is going to bring a different perspective on gaming. And I think that functionality is going to start applying into a lot of games and eventually maybe all the games. Mm-hmm. But that's at least that's how I see things. So does has cryptocurrency, like, changed your perspective in how you're going to kind of... Um, you know, traverse this world of like gaming and development and all that, like does it really affect your bottom line or is this just another tool in your in your tool set? It's just another tool. You have to see it as another tool and another thing that can grip or cannot grip on to technology. Uh, the thing is, I've been always involved into high risky technologies and high risky industry. So, uh, it's just another thing that can work or cut or can work in a different way that you were expecting it to sure. work. So uh, I think we will see how it ends. For now, for me, it's a tool that I can use uh, to, for now, you know, get paid, for example, or yeah. pay to some uh, freelancers. For example, now uh, I'm trying to convince out of crypto clients to get into crypto because I basically told them that they will save money. And they were like, oh, how can I save money? I, <laughs> I, I like that, you know? Yeah. It, it, the thing is, if you tell people that using crypto transactions, you can save money, they, they all pay attention. Like, yeah. oh, really? How, how can I avoid paying the bank for his stupid fees, mm. you know? And yeah, because I would imagine your clients are not all in Spain, right? No, we don't have any clients in Spain. Yeah, so... Doing a bank-to-bank transfer outside the country is such a pain in the ass. It's unbelievable. It's it's like yeah. the it's like the credit card industry and doing a credit card transaction. It, once you swipe or dip that card, it touches so many companies mm-hmm. that it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the same with bank-to-bank transfers, right? Yeah. When you send money from the United States to Spain, it goes into a a, a, a middle bank, a middleman bank, from bank to yeah. a middle bank to the actual bank. It's mm-hmm. it's it's nonsense. Yeah. So now you're right. If you're telling your clients, hey, if you just use Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, um, it's 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 person to person transaction. I mean, that changes everything for them because they're saving like 20 percent of the transaction right there. Yeah, exactly. I'm saving money. They are saving money because when they make their transaction, they will get fees and also I will get fees for uh, doing the you know, and then you uh, get instant money, right? Within 30 minutes, you got the money that yeah, your client paid. Yeah, I guess you can get instant money. It's not that easy, depending on the uh, on the currency you're getting paid off. I right, remember yeah. they say that I had to wait like uh, eight hours something. Oh, really? 
completely. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, for which for Bitcoin. Uh, no, it was day. I was paid in day, and I transferred into USDC. Which which cryptocurrency was it? Day. It's not a cryptocurrency. It's a safe oh, coin. Die. Oh, stable coin. Die. Yeah, yeah, oh, die. Okay, so, die. Okay. Sorry. Interesting. <laughs> we talk about die a lot on this podcast, actually. So, so explain that a little bit. So, you were paid in die, and it took eight hours for you to receive die. Uh, no, it took me eight hours to transfer to transform oh. die into Ethereum. USDC. Okay, okay, I got you. I got you. No, absolutely. It's it's just about the trans- amount of transaction that I'm being done uh, with that two coins. So, okay, True. maybe you have to wait, but you are saving money anyway. Yeah, and and it, you it have might, to, the the beauty of them using die is you don't you're not open to that volatility sure. within that eight hour window, right? It's a stable. Sure. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's that's the thing. When you the cool thing is that you can pay get paid into safe coins, uh-huh. yeah. and then you can uh, wait until like okay, I'm going to transfer my money yeah. right now. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You, you, maybe you lose money. Maybe you earn a bit money, but you are not going to be crushed as if you had that money all the day into, the, into your uh, yeah. bank account. I totally agree. If you if you run a business, you don't want that volatility, even oh, if no. it's going to potentially make not. you money. You you, you rather stick with I mean, the stablecoin. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can have a percentage on Ethereum or Bitcoin or these volatility coins. Yeah. That's totally up to you. I actually would recommend just have a small percentage of your money get into these coins. But if you want to play to pay your employees, oh, yeah. you have to pay in euros here. So uh, yeah. I cannot tell them like, oh, I will send you a thousand mana tomorrow. To yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I wish it cool so they uh, they will take care of the transactions. But So, so uh, that's a good question. Would you, if you could, I guess you would use cryptocurrencies to pay your employees as long as they, they believe in this whole architecture, right? Yeah, it doesn't seem... Uh, they have to believe in it. Not yeah, I, exactly. I can tell you, not all my designers believe in crypto, for example. So they, uh, it's not that they are skeptical; it's that they still don't trust the technology yet because they for see sure. it as something for speculation or and brokers. Yeah, that's that's the thing that we have to change, right? There's people we see only for brokers or hackers or yeah. you know that can be used for anyone for anything. No, that's interesting. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, receiving DAI and then having to convert DAI into USD or Euro, it, it is a long process. I mean, uh, but nonetheless, if your client pays you in DAI, you got paid, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, of course. it takes you a while to convert that it's into... still better than what you said earlier. Yeah, for a, sure. A fiat transaction. because yeah, that takes several days. Yeah. And even yeah. then, they might even screw it up, which I've, I've experienced before. You send... $10,000 and your client ends up receiving $9,500. It's like, where the hell did the rest of the money go? And then the yeah. banks are like taking all these fees for no reason. They're, they're converting into another currency just because that's what the bank does. And yeah. and it's it's just a pain in the ass and it delays things for several weeks. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's it's no way to like run a, a worldwide business like, like the one you're running, Daniel. So... <clears throat> I think uh, I think there's obviously a lot of potential in kind of what we're doing. It's uh, to me, it's like really exciting. It has like our attention almost on a on a daily basis. Kind of like what's going on with the crypto world. Yeah. And with Dai, I think Dai really has our attention because if you there's this uh, company called Compound Finance, Compound dot Finance, and you can earn you know close to like fifteen percent interest on your Dai. Mm-hmm. Are you aware of that, Daniel? No, I was not. 
Well, I'll send you a link that way you just so you can look at it. Um, it, it doesn't help us anything, but it at least exposes you to what they're doing. But the point here is if you stake your die in compound finance, that die gets converted into a different cryptocurrency and that cryptocurrency um, accrues interest over time. And, um, and, and so it's, it's the same premise of just what cryptocurrency is supposed to be. If we're our, our own bank, a bank uses our money and they loan that out and make interest and they pay you, let's say 0.1%. Mm-hmm. But if, if, if we're our own bank, then we have that same ability to do with our money. Mm-hmm. And so that's what compound finance is doing is that if you stake your die, they pay you the 15% and then they loan it out for let's say 17%. Mm-hmm. So they, they make the difference in that, in that kind of transaction. But we're making 15% of our money versus the 0.1%, you know, that we're getting from our bank if we're lucky. Yeah. And so uh, that's that's why it has me so fascinated because with with that functionality, it renders banks like absolutely useless. There There is no reason to be using traditional banking infrastructure anymore because of that. And on top of that it is completely de- decentralized. Um, the only fear here is that the smart contracts they're using to perform this functionality they're built by humans, right? Mm-hmm. Humans are flawed. They make yeah. mistakes, right? They can be compromised. But there's another company who you, you can pay, let's say, 1% of your earnings, and they'll, they'll insure you the money that you're staking. So if, it, if the smart contract gets compromised, then you, know, you don't lose any money because you're paying for the, the service of you know, insurance. Mm-hmm. So there's that other aspect. But that's, that's, the, that's what fascinates me the most about you know, programmable money is that we have all these abilities and, and we're early on, like, yeah, it's yeah. To, to me is amazing. But that's the fear, I guess, because we're, because we're so early, it's hard to build trust. Trust. Yeah. For sure. Thing in, in this ecosystem. Yeah. It's like that video that we saw where the guy was like, well, what's, what's the internet or what's an email and wh- <laughs> why do we have to, well, what's the at sign? Like, what does that mean? You mean and like in the nineties when the people 90s. were just now figuring out what the internet was? Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. And, and, uh, it's like, you know, why, why should I send you an email when I can just call you, you know, and which, which is foreign to us these days. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and pretty soon using a, a banking infrastructure is going to be like, you know, using a, a horse and buggy to mm-hmm. travel around. Well, I don't know. I think banks have a lot of the power and they uh, can try to shift and become something different. But we true. That's true. They could be. I, I don't think they're going to disappear. I think they true. will. True. Uh, that, that's a good point. That's they, a good become, point. they all become a, they all crypto and they uh, imagine a future where every bank creates their own coin and what's the difference between that and, that's true you know. that's true because you know when you think about us becoming our own bank that means that we have to protect our own private keys mm-hmm. yeah. and you can't really trust you know seven billion people to do a good job protecting their own private keys mm-hmm. so that that probably isn't the best infrastructure to create a society on where everyone is fighting for their own, you know, security. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so I think you're right. I think potentially banks could convert their kind of systems and be the custodial services with the same kind of like trust that we have in banks today. But in this case, it's crypto. And, and at this point, people won't have to know what a blockchain is. And yeah, that's the thing. They, they will evolve. They will use the blockchain and people will not even know yeah. that they're using it. Yeah, I can uh, definitely see that happening. Yeah, for example, I, a lot of people I know they keep their ledger into a bank uh, yeah. safe. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, we are your trusted banks to save our stuff. Like the most important stuff should be in your bank. 
in a safe, right? Yeah. So maybe probably we're going that way where banks still being like the guys who lend money and are the guys who protect your money if you don't be installed or uh, I don't know, giving you different services with your crypto or I don't know. Yeah. Different. <clears throat> That's true. That's true. I, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I don't think it makes a lot, a whole lot of sense to have people trust themselves to protect their own money. So I think oh. there's, there's always going to be a use for a bank. But I think the value that cryptocurrencies bring is that the 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 monetary policy is no longer governed by banks, and it creates a, a level playing field for everybody. Even, yeah, by banks and, and the states. Yeah, right? absolutely. Absolutely. That's the only. That's the kind of thing that I see. Maybe we see in the future that every country make their makes their own cryptocurrency. Yeah. And we have uh, like a economic battle or something between crypto and value. Yep. Uh, another picture that I see is that maybe banks merge with the state uh, in, a, in a way to save like the last remain of power they do mm. have. Yeah. And like, because you know, there are a lot of states that still have their own banking system being public instead of being private. And uh, maybe that's a way for this to go on. I'm not sure. Uh, what I'm sure is that uh, it, the same way we don't protect ourselves and we have police and we trust the police to protect True. ourselves True. we will do the same with banks or something like that yeah i mean we talk about that all the time right like how how um the the individual is going to be kind of in control of this money and how banks are not necessarily going to be you know having that that power that they used to have and how humans kind of control or are the individual is now programming how money is going to work and that the, the slow erosion of banks and how they operate today is going to change in a way where it's more aligned to what the population actually needs instead of being manipulated by the banks. So, I mean, I think I think this we're, we're headed in the positive direction. And, and I'm, I'm just personally, I'm glad that I can see this happening, you know, kind of like I didn't get to see the Internet develop because, you know, <laughs> we were too young. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's exciting times. Uh, for me, for example, uh, for me, it's very exciting because VR is uh, it's going to hit hard when it hits. Yeah. Like, I, it, it brings me the same feelings that I had when I started playing online games like World of Warcraft. It has this powerful grip that uh, gets you to dig more and stand to learn more. And, uh, so, so I think having the same feeling and seeing how World of Warcraft is now today or how the game industry evolves as it is today. For example, when I was a kid, I, I used to remember, oh, would it be cool if we could like be professional video game players? Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> I, I, I wish I get paid for playing an arena between my friends, right? And then a few years later, we started to see like... That's exactly players. what happened. That's exactly what I yeah, yeah, then when people play and build this entire industry of esports that yeah, is, yeah. is still growing and growing and growing. It's going to take over regular sports. Oh, yeah, so definitely. Mm -hmm. Having the same gut feeling about VR, I, I just hold into that. Like when you see people playing and when you see, uh, for example, no, I, I watched this YouTube uh, channel that is called Seymour. And it's basically a guy who interviews people in VR chat. Mm. And you can see that the people who is playing VR chat, a lot of people is 
uh, is the only way they can communicate because maybe they are at their houses and they cannot move. I think we saw so, one of those videos, right? Yeah. Where this yeah, guy. Yeah, the guy is people. Yeah. He's a YouTuber. Um, he interviews people. And, and so um, I think the video that we saw was like he went to like a baptism and people were getting baptized in, uh, in yeah. virtual reality. Yeah, it was a pastor who yeah. was like, you know. I, there was like a pool in the virtual world. Yeah. And people would actually stand <laughs> in the water. He performed like a normal oh, yeah. baptism yeah. virtually. That's and funny. He, I saw that video because uh, the banana jumps. <laughs> the banana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> see, see, yeah, those avatars, That that's something very, because that's unique to VR chat. Yeah. How everyone has their own unique looking avatar. Yeah. It adds that, yeah. what you said, that personal. That uniqueness. Yeah, that I think. Well, identity, right? Decentraland is kind of lacking right now because it's yeah. such early stages. But so, so everyone, yeah. everyone needs that ability to create their own, you know, unique. I'm I'm curious, Daniel. Um, being in the '80s, right? Yeah. The so what what do you think is needed from like maybe the hardware perspective for VR to really take off to be mainstream, where you can pretty much predict that kind of like there's an Xbox in almost every house or PlayStation. Mm-hmm. You can predict that there's a, at least one VR headset in every home. Like what what what's left to create or build or make cheaper? Well, I would not compare uh, VR with uh, consoles. I would uh, compare it with PCs. Because oh, right. I, okay. in my opinion, what really made mainstream gameplay was PCs, not uh, True. consoles. True. Uh, because they, you had the internet in the PC and then we still keep seeing that, right? Uh, uh, there is still a lot of stuff that is going to be happening. I think uh, what we are missing is that uh, the VR has more, more and more content and more and more software mm. to be used into VR. The killer app. For example, yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer that in the future, uh, instead of using Maya or Blender, sure. we will be using something in 3D. Sure, sure. Some sure. 3D software with VR. Headsets and that will be more faster, will be more stressful than using it just a regular screen. Sure. I think there we're missing software that can be used inside of it, not just uh, games on top of games. Interesting. Uh, also, I think what what needs to be done is like uh, it needs to be cheaper. It needs to be easier to get to break into Oculus. For example, the Oculus Quest is actually pretty cheap. It's, it's 150 euros or something. Oh, really? Is yeah. it is the Oculus Quest the one where it doesn't have that cord anymore? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, it's only 150 bucks? He's a euros. Yeah, exactly. Oh, euros. I mean, now you, two years ago, you would say, oh, that's 1,000 euros. Uh, I, I just true. can't afford that. I just don't want to afford it. But Interesting. When you lower down the price, it starts to be more appealing. Like, oh, maybe I should try this. Uh, they're becoming cheaper. Interesting. So it's got to follow like Moore's Law's principle, essentially. Like, over time, yeah. it's going to keep... Exactly. Over time, yeah. price will become cheaper. The device will become lighter. Yeah. We will be seeing more uh, more add-ons to the headset, like maybe gloves, maybe some kind of sweet suit. But it Ooh. has to still to develop because uh, I don't see anyone walking around with the Oculus Quest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Maybe something like uh, what Elon Musk is working on, Neuralink. Some oh. type of merger with that, oh. that bit technology. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. shit is... Uh... <laughs> yeah, can you imagine, Daniel, that we have to have like surgery on our brains in order to interface with like, like a maybe augmented reality you know, heads-up display? Yeah. yeah that, is, uh, that will bring a new question into the table, right? Like, um, could you replicate yourself into another person or oh, yeah. like, to hack 
the reality of another person. Dude. Like, Dude. Uh, imagine you could be able to uh, manipulate the reality of someone else by this device, and they will feel like, uh, I don't know, they have to have a diarrhea. And when you get this virus, <laughs> you stop, kind of stop going to the bathroom or having this trippiest you know or add a hallucination right i can send you a hallucination that there's like a leprechaun exactly. running or, around or where is where is the the limit like could i go to your self and watch and see any streaming of your life yeah like, real streaming of your life or uh where the thing is Could you imagine that can it, it can bring a new level of connection with people like could you imagine if like everyone could tune into like like Justin Bieber's life or something you know what I mean oh, everyone yeah, could do that like a celebrity's crazy. life and yeah, that, that would be the second. thing that eventually uh, what what is you and what what are you are you a human or are you a person that is watching yeah. humans uh, play <laughs> or are you uh, a person that doesn't like his body or his vessel and is looking for stuff to do or yeah uh i haven't thought about this kind of things these kind of things start to be more uh you know philosophical and plausible yeah like yeah but we are very close like oh yeah that's that's the scary thing because uh imagine a government could hack a million people or someone could hack a million people and order them to kill someone. How can we prevent that from happening if it's like, it happens? It's like the brain. movie Kingsman. I haven't seen that right. one. Oh, dude. <laughs> Sorry. Well, Kingsman is a huge amount of questions. Yeah, King, yeah. So real quick, Kingsman was uh, this really, like this billionaire. He gives everybody a cell phone. Okay. And yeah. uh, and in that cell phone is a little SIM card that emits a a frequency um, sound that, that inhibits the brain's... Um, uh, something about violence, like you, you become very violent, and it inhibits that violence resistance. Oh, okay. And so, so, and it's completely free. So he 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 gave everybody this free sim, free internet for the entire world, right? So of course everybody wants it, right? But then he activates that switch, emits that that sound wave, and became and everybody becomes violent with each other. They want to kill each they other. They want to kill each other. Oh, wow. And he, he's doing that benevolent, benevolently. Uh-huh. And the reason is, is because he understands humans are destroying the planet and the only way to stop the destruction of the planet is to kill the yeah. humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you should watch the movie. It's great. Well, movie. I will now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what everyone thinks is going to happen when artificial intelligence comes in, right? Oh, for sure. Some way they'll hack into the system and but that's a good find a way to get rid of us. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, having that neural link... You know, what if somebody gets hacked? And what if the government hacks millions of these people? And Yeah. Man, that's... I mean, for sure, if Neuralink becomes a thing, it would have... Like I said, uh, I think the big barrier to virtual reality is that actual headset. Yeah. A lot of people, like, you're not going to walk around with that. Google tried with, like, the yeah. Google glasses, right? Uh, right? That was, like, a yeah. huge failure. That's um, true. But if this thing is built into your natural interface, your, your know, brain, maybe when you're born, you're going to have to implant every baby with this thing, you oh. know? Dude. Well, hopefully not. Yeah. No? Can you imagine? Like, I don't, uh, <laughs> the thing is, we will uh, stop being individuals, but we will uh, stop thinking as hives or something like that. I mean, we are already having hive thinking. Oh, yeah. Uh, social I'm not sure social. if you guys believe in hive thinking. Yeah, right? yeah. The thing is, uh, we will be connecting with people in different ways in that we cannot even imagine yet. So uh, I'm not sure if it's, I mean, it's exciting, but uh could be also very uh, damaging. Very us in the future yeah yes, yes. or this like, I, i'm not a believer that we the ia will kill us or anything like that 
No? Of course not. I, I mean, uh, we all think that we are going to die and we are on the edge of dying and all this yeah. kind of stuff. So <laughs> That's I, true. I guess... Well, Elon's Elon's solution to artificial intelligence and its potential to maybe des- destroy humans is is if we inter interface, we interlink ourselves with the AI, the AI will have less incentive to get rid of us. So that's the that's its premise to Neuralink. Now, can AI, you know, manifest itself and, you know, decide to get rid of humans? Is there a chance? Yeah, there's a chance. Is it probable? Who knows? But yeah. I think I think there's there are ways where AI could affect reality in in ways that we we don't really think about. Like typically, you think of, of like course. Terminator. But what I think is more threatening is the ability to manipulate like a, a video, like uh, deep fake, like a deep fake. Yeah, you can have a deep fake of you know the president of the United States, you know, um, you know, going after North Korea, and that yeah. starts you know World War Three right there. And even though it, it came from a computer program. Yeah. So I think that's where the threat is. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, the thing is, when we see this new technology or when we see this new thing, we tend to think about the bad things yeah. that can happen with them. And, and I totally agree that they can be daunting, and I think I can be totally changing. Yeah. Again, the history of, of humans, but. See, here's where, where I'm concerned the most is that Elon is obviously the closest guy to Neuralink and, and he's got the resources to even develop artificial intelligence. Yeah. And and being that close to that new cutting edge technology and him being very concerned to where he's like actively talking about it and warning people, that concerns me. Yeah. Because it's like uh, the closest analogy that I can think of is like saying when you're driving a car behind somebody and that guy suddenly break, stops, right? You see the brake lights turn on and it's screeching stop. You have to assume there's something in front of that vehicle that is encouraging this guy to stop extremely fast. So it's like Elon, he's the, the guy in the front vehicle. And he, if he's seeing something where he's breaking his car, you know, and then he's warming, warning everybody else that that is why I'm concerned. I have to like... Take, of course, take, uh, take his Elon word for Musk it. is a brilliant guy. We cannot ignore him or ignore yes. I, I'm sure we, I mean, we are in front of regular people in, in things uh, when it comes to technology, but he is even more in front of us. Uh, he, I'm sure he knows way more stuff that we guys do. So, yeah, maybe maybe he's right. Maybe we are screwed. And maybe we have to, <laughs> <laughs> then I we all know. have to get a neural link. Yeah. Yeah, I hope not. Actually, <laughs> I, I really hope not. Actually. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think if we have to, that's that's going to be a big problem. Yeah. If we have to, um, have but to what? Have to actually get a neural link in oh. order to protect ourselves. But I think obviously we're far away from that. Yeah. But if I mean, yeah. think about it, if you extrapolate this this current trajectory in technology, and let's say you know 100 years from now, where you kind of teleport 100 years from now and you and you see everybody with a neural link that is kind of concerning because that is the way humans survive 100 years from now that's that's kind of scary oh yes uh, the thing is i'm not sure where we'll be in 100 years from now i hope we will have at least uh, another planet to be in. that's True. one of my my ideas uh the thing is about ai we think that it's going to be like terminator that it's going to spread everywhere going to take over the machines that's uh, maybe something that can happen i mean it can happen but i also think that maybe we should try to strive to have uh individuals ias for individual purposes instead of having a massive thing that 
keeps the knowledge of everything in control. Yeah. The same way, the same way we divide the power of the state into different parts. You know, uh, yeah. for example, in Spain we have uh, this, the defense, uh, the the judge, and then there's a political party. So there's three three legs on the state, and they operate individually, not having to interfere with each other. Instead of trying to merge everything in every AA, that we can trying to have like a medical AA that can only uh, improve the human body, for example, or you know, that can be applied into this different stuff. But not mixing them. Sure. That should be something that we can do. We should, you know, decentralization is also a good thing for AI. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Decentralization of kind of AI. Have you uh, have you happened to watch the show Silicon Valley, Daniel? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you've you've seen it. Yeah, so, of course. So, <laughs> I man, you gotta you gotta watch it. But on there, they talk about an AI and on a decentralized network. Yeah. And that's uh, what I was thinking about. All these fears that we have, if there is a Neuralink future, uh, the possibility of it getting hacked into. Yeah. Isn't that if blockchain gets to its mature state where all the data is distributed and there's no longer that possibility of it being breached, you know, is that the solution to these problems? Well, <clears throat> I think the the fact that there are some blockchains that you cannot hack like Bitcoin, uh-huh. that is independent of, you know, what you can do with Neuralink. Like Neuralink is, is a direct brain interface. Yeah. And that direct brain interface could be compromised by some hacker who potentially, you know, um, manipulates the, the code that affects what it's interfacing. Where does that code exist for that brain interface? Well, the code, it, it could exist within the little module behind your ear, uh-huh. uh, but it also could exist on a decentralized network. So it's possible. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, regardless of the fears, like you said, this is the trajectory we're heading towards. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. like, you know, what are the mitigating factors we can do now to prevent, you know, uh, an AI from getting rampant, right? To lose control of that. I guess in Elon's mind, it's regulation, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like if his technology is progressing at such a breakneck speed, there, there's not enough people out there like value, evaluating, like you know, whether or not we should slow down. Yeah, and yeah. That's of, the thing. Uh, be, the people who regulate the stuff, they are not pioneers. They're, yeah, exactly. That's uh, true. It's gonna be impossible to try and explain to them. It's like we've thing. been we've been wanting the, our United States government to regulate cryptocurrencies for at least five years. Yeah, and just now they're starting to look into it because of Libra and Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Um, so they're not going to look at brain interfaces or AI anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah, they will be looking at into it once uh, Elon Musk releases it. Yeah, like that. uh, that's if true. That's a good point. Happen. Yeah, that's a good something point. Something happening uh, anytime. Soon. I mean, the, the thing is, uh, people who regulate they uh, slow things down, and that's the, yeah. their their yeah. job. They they have to slow things down, and they are not up to date with things. They're uh, in Spain. There is nothing thinking about cryptocurrencies now but yeah uh, maybe in the future they will be because they see value on seeing it uh, it will depend on every country i guess yeah and i guess the danger of regulation is you're not going to be competitive with other nations right when it comes That's to true. innovation yeah so. i guess regulations will bring some kind of human touch to things like yeah. probably if this regulated is because it's dangerous to somebody else like uh, for example, now we have these uh, electrical scooters that two years ago didn't exist in the cities, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now that people is starting to get bumped into each other, this the government comes and says, like, "Okay, these are the rules. Mm. Please follow them uh, to prevent 
people to be to be killed in the street. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I guess this is what's going to happen. So uh, it's any kind of technology that when they see that it's like something that can harm or kill or yeah. be dangerous, that's when they step in and like, okay, these are the rules. The problem is that the people who set up the rules usually don't understand. What Absolutely. Yeah, it's like it's like we were uh, listening to the the conference, or not the conference, but the uh, the hearing from our government talking to uh, Facebook and Libra and all that. And these guys, they don't understand not the first thing about blockchain, mm -hmm. and so how can we ever expect them to regulate anything when they don't understand it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And especially artificial intelligence is, is probably way more complicated than blockchain is. Mm -hmm. And yeah. to expect them to regulate something like that, it's it's. Not gonna happen. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Usually, governments are made with old folks. Yeah, that they have right. been sitting there for fifty years, and they just uh, that's true. They're they, still wondering why we're using email, right? Yeah, They're, I mean, that's how old they are. Using email or using post, you know, it, that's totally fine. The thing is that people who should be up to what is going on in the world, they are not up to it. Yeah, like uh, most of them will not know how to open. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, it's like uh, I think the best way to regulate, if at all, is probably not through the government. It's probably through self-regulation, and they probably just set yeah. standards. Like, hey, let's if we build AI, let's try to build it in a way where it actually doesn't destroy humans, right? I, I don't yeah, know how I that would look so. like. Yeah, I think so. The thing is, uh, the government's been so old is because we have been changing our um, our structure of our society structure, right? Back in the day, they all folk was this wiser and was the most, uh, you know, they, they have wisdom and the yeah. wisdom was yeah. the power and that's why they that's true. trusted that's them, true. right? Mm -hmm. The thing is, uh, now, the, the guys who are in the government, they are not wise people. That's they are true. people who are there, that, that, that they were wise in the, in the world before, right? 30 years ago, without the internet, they were still wise, but now, this technology is catching up, it's changing the society, but the society structure is not changing. We're still trusting old people that absolutely not keep up to the day-to-day -day knowledge. So they're making decisions for the old world to be applied in the new world, and that's what is not working. Yeah, uh, We should be seeing more young people into politics or just to try to make a break and, and try to have some people who is actually with have some wisdom about the internet or about virtual reality or about all this new stuff that is going to happen or is that it's already happening but we are not seeing that because people still trust the awful even if they are not prepared or that, they just know that. that is such a good way to describe it. it's like you know back in the day the old people had all the wisdom yeah. And therefore, they were the ones who accrued were, through experience, accrued through experience, yeah. and their experience was valuable because they were old, yeah. and their experience probably mimics the experiences of the rest of the planet, mm -hmm. and therefore it was valuable to listen to them. Yeah. But now, because we have such such a great access to information and the ability to uh, build new things like like Neuralink and going to Mars and all that, we're going on Mars on our own now, right? We're not depending on governments to go to Mars, right? So I think we have to figure out a way to to bring some kind of wisdom into government so that we can start doing things a little bit faster, a little bit more up to date instead of relying on, you know, 19th century ideology. Uh -huh. So exactly. I think uh, we got a long way to go. I mean, it's we're not even like a, 
talking about that, right? No. I don't know. I think uh, we will have to wait until the thing. I have this feeling about our uh, about our age people. You know, uh, we have this block of. De- this deco- demographical block, right? Yeah. Back in the day, the the life, pyramid life, I was, it was like this. So back yeah. here were all the kids, and here were only people like this, right? Yep. Now in developing countries, you don't see a triangle anymore. You see like a square, or or maybe even an inverted triangle. So it means that the old folks will have always more fa- more power to just decide on top of the young people. So hmm. I think. They're blocking us to developing new technologies, new ideas, new. It's just a demographical block. If if you remove sure. if you remove these people from the equation, uh, I I think we will be seeing even more and more and more technology going on. So I I don't think it's a good it's a bad idea, but because maybe having that demographic block, we can block ourselves from destroying us. Yeah. But I think. Uh, we all have this sensation that we want to do something to change, but we are always being blocked by the elders. No, no right. matter how old you get, like I'm almost 29 and I still feel like I, I have to get passed by some someone older yeah, uh, opinions, true. right? So the thing is our generation is blocked by the older demographic generation. Right? That's so it's true. a huge chunk. The baby boomers are a huge chance that they are going to be there for a long time, and until they even start dying or even start like trying to adapt slowly, we we always have these workouts in our lives. Yeah. No, I mean, just to touch a little bit about what you're talking about is the the older generation kind of blocking new generation thinking is. Yeah. Um, you know, like in the United States, we're we're having a, a little bit of a gun problem, right? Uh, some call it a gun problem, other call other people call it a brain problem, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, from from an outsized perspective, since you live in Spain, how do you view what's going on in the United States in terms of like mass shootings and all that? I'm just curious. Because uh, you, you, you hear about it too, right? Uh, what? You, yeah, 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 yeah. I hear about it too. Uh, I'm not. I don't usually watch uh, TV or anything, but I. I Twitter, you can see this. It's on the internet, right? Yeah. The thing is, uh, in Spain, in the TV on Spain, they don't even show that. We have other problems. We have political problems that they show. We have the Catalonian problem they show. So I guess in every country, they show their own problems and they magnify them. So you only pay attention to that small region of the world. Sure. Uh, What's going on in in the U.S. is just, uh, I mean, you should look up to it like, uh, this is I mean, just to be sure that we're talking the same thing, it's like mass shoot is happening almost every week, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is a huge problem. I mean, uh, the thing is you're bringing fear into people's lives because uh, eventually people will just not leave their houses or being afraid of seeing mass shoot or anything. Sure. I think there should be some kind of regulation, but... Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a tough question. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. tough. It's uh, um, I, I don't expect you to solve it. But what do you? So, I mean, obviously, we hear about it because we we we're in that we're in the United States, right? Um, and you know the the common thing is you know it's almost happening every single week, almost, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. is is it getting coverage in Spain? Like, do you is it like a topic? Uh, on on you know on day to day subjects over there or is it just like something that's not happening here we don't really care about it. I mean, 
uh, they just don't talk about it that much. Okay. Maybe just okay. a short thing that they uh, show, or maybe they don't even show. But uh, usually, what they talk about is about politics because they have been uh, having like an election. Yeah. Yep. And maybe we will repeat the election again, so that's what it's more people is talking about. Sure, sure. Uh, there are also things that are happening, like uh, like a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Canary Island was set on fire, for example. Yeah. And I mean, there are different problems, and I guess they try to always uh, talk about regional problems. I guess in France they also talk about France problems, but I don't sure, care about sure. them. Yeah, I was just uh, curious to see if, like, the world had a strong opinion on gun regulation. And I was wondering, like, what Europe, that opinion was. they will tell you that just regulate it. Just don't allow everybody to just grab a gun, whatever you want. Or what, yes. Uh, but, I, I I mean, that's my European view of things, sure, right? Sure, sure. People, you, you cannot see people having guns on the streets here. Like, it's not something normal if you saw someone with a gun so I'll ask you another weird question. Um, yeah. So, like you're saying, in in Spain, there isn't a whole lot of guns, right? Uh, yeah. Civilian population. Oh, oh, I don't mean that there are not guns. I mean, people is not showing them in the streets because sure. people have a huge amount of guns. Uh, our country is a very difficult country. We have been war forever. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, of and, course. Uh, there's a uh, you know around almost how hundred. I mean, you have, you know, we had a civil war. Yep, yep. Right. A lot of people still have guns from that civil war. They found in their houses. Uh, are being uh, is the family heritage that you get when sure. your grandmother died or something like that. So people have guns, and but they don't just go on the street with them. Yeah, no, so, absolutely. So so it's that uh, you know, you use for hunt and don't uh, what to say. Like Nobody will teach you to use it. Like yeah. So, okay, so let me throw you out some numbers. Um, there's yeah. roughly 300 million Americans, and there's okay. more than 300 million guns in America. Does oh. that does that shock you, or is that on par with what Spain might have, a one-to-one -one ratio? No idea how it was the ratio here, but one-on-one, I mean, uh, not it doesn't really shock me. Like, okay. Because there, there's always going to be people who have huge amount of collections. Sure. There's always sure. going to be people that maybe have a gun because their parents gave them. Because, uh, you know, I don't think the, the amount of guns is relevant. Uh, yeah, and that's they, that's sort of uh, why that's why I asked the question is that it could be more of a an environmental thing, a mental thing, that there's these, you know, events, these mass shootings. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in other countries, there's probably an equal amount of guns, but the civilians are not shooting at each other because they're angry, right? Mm -hmm. So it yeah, is it is something in, in America. It is either the environment, the ideologies, whatever it is. It's almost like part of our culture in a way. Yeah. The ideology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, a, it's all about education, yeah. right? Uh, my father told me how to shoot a gun. Also, show me how to shoot a shotgun, but that doesn't mean I'm going to grab it and go yeah, my exactly for sure. You know, kill anybody. He just he showed me like to respect. Careful, it. this is this is something you should respect. I'm teaching you just in case one in the future you, you have to use it for, for sure. whatever reason. I mean, you, you should know how to use a gun just just in case. Yeah, for but sure. But it doesn't mean that you have to go and shoot anybody. Yeah. It's about education, right? It's just a tool, and you should only use it when you're in danger or if you want to go hunting or something like that. 
but it's not something to shoot people. Uh, for example, one of the things that people say in, in Spain is that they, they got shot by a friend, for example. And that's, uh, imagine you are hunting and then you shot, and you, you miss the bullet and you hit a friend. Sure, right? sure. So uh, most of people, uh, or for example, people of my father's age have scars or have some kind of pain from these oh, uh, things. And so I think you, you learn like, okay, uh, he has a huge scar here because yeah. he, he misses shots. So this is something that can hurt people. Uh, this is not something good. You know, it's not uh, education, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's the key point. So what do you think, Will? Well, like, uh, what, what do you think is causing this? Uh, I don't know. I think I, I, I think I, I agree with Daniel. I don't think it's so much of a gun problem. Um, I, I don't think that too many guns is a problem. I think my my only thing I like guns. I, I don't really I don't really care for them. Like I'm not in love with these guns that I want to keep them. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I do believe is a magazine that's over, let's say, a 30 round magazine. Like, why does that need to exist? Mm -hmm. Or a semi-automatic rifle. Like, what's what's the point of that? Um, so that's kind of where I, I stand in kind of doing something about the issue that we have in the, in the United States. Uh, but I don't think guns are the problem. I think it's more of an environmental effect that America creates on, on, on people. Um, kind of the ideologies, like always competing with the Joneses. You're always, no matter how rich you are, you're always going to be less rich than the next guy. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just how it is. And I, and I think that's having a mental effect on people and they're, they're reacting in the way that they're reacting because they can't really do much about it. Mm -hmm. And I, um, just yesterday I was on Twitter and I stumbled across this video with this lady walking by this family, two parents, a man and a female. And each, each parent had uh, a little kid, you know, a little toddler walking with them. This lady walks by them and stabs these kids in the, in the face. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. So, so this, this, uh, this didn't happen in the United States, it happened in Georgia, the country. And, uh, so there's these crazy people out there, no matter what, whether they have a knife or a gun, they're equally as, you know, as crazy. Right. But I guess the argument yeah. is, are they equally as deadly? Yeah. Know, that's, that's, knife that's what I'm gun. saying. If, if you give this lady a 30 round magazine, yeah. she's not stabbing two kids. She's killing at least 10 people. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's a tough topic. Yeah. No, I was just curious sure. from an outsider's perspective. Yeah. Like, what, what do you, what are you seeing? Are you seeing the same thing we're seeing? Um, you know, things like that. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, it's, it's terrifying. I mean, uh, I would think it twice, depending if I had to go to the U.S. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm really? Sure exactly. Wow. Yeah, I know there are some people that will have to think it twice, like, oh, there's shoot, mass shooting happening in this state, yeah. and I have to go to work there. Huh. Uh, maybe That's you will think it twice to go in there, you know? You don't want to get killed or anything. Yeah, it's like us traveling to Venezuela or Brazil right, or Cuba. Exactly. It's like or North Korea, right? Or North <laughs> Korea, yeah. That's crazy that we become something like that. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I mean, uh, it can happen anywhere. Like in Spain, we have this terrorist uh, party That's back true. in the day. That's true. And people didn't come here because they were afraid. So it yeah. can happen and it can also be solved. Yeah, I mean, at uh, the end of the day, uh, you're, you know, these mass shootings are rare. But like you could go to Spain, you can be on a train and the train blows up because of a terrorist attack. Like there's there's not a whole lot you can do. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So on that anywhere. on that positive note, I know Daniel, you're very busy. Uh, you're at the office. I'm assuming you're getting some stuff done. So let's uh, 
let's uh, uh let you yeah i like to be here like uh i need to come here just to get the stuff done and keep working because yeah. Yeah, i'm not sorry if you guys know this but if you stop working it, later on it becomes more harder to harder to, to restart for sure yeah, yeah no i totally get it um but <laughs> No, we we appreciate you joining us. I mean, I I thought this conversation was fantastic. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, we would love oh. to have you back on, especially once Decentraland starts picking up and we start making more stuff on there. Um, yeah, of course. So, uh, so we have a good ideas for the game jam. I'm not sure you guys have. Yes, oh. yeah. So we're we're coming up with our own ideas for game jam. Um, we'll definitely see you out there. Um, yeah. Is is there anything you want to? kind of tell the audience uh let's twitter instagram um any anything that they can reach you by oh you can uh guys follow us in, at polygonal mind uh, polygonal mind yeah just follow the studio we we are releasing a lot of information yesterday we released a uh, uh, my tutorial for beginners uh, we are, the thing is we are documenting everything we do and we will be releasing it later on uh, to teach people to see how it's, what things were learning, we want to show that. Uh, so, so Maya, what, what what about Blender? Do you recommend people learn Blender as well? Oh, I <laughs> here we go. I will, I will not. I will not recommend Blender myself. Uh, okay. I tried it, but I couldn't get the grip on it because uh, for me, Maya is very easy. It's very visually appealing. Okay. Look a lot like Photoshop in a sense. So it's very intuitive uh, and changing from the Blender is not as worth it for me. Mm -hmm. But also, if you learn Maya, you can also get hired by another game development studio because it is still an industry standard. So interesting. For, okay. for someone who wants to learn, maybe you should pick up Maya if you want to get a job. No, that, that's yeah. good because... It doesn't matter if you're good in Blender. If the studio still uses Maya because they develop their own tool for something, you will have to learn Maya. Sure, sure. Hey, um, Daniel, just a question from somebody who has no experience in uh, 3D yeah. design, but if you're interested, do you need to have like a natural artistic ability to, to you know, like on say somebody who isn't able to create good illustrations on pen and paper, Well, does that translate to the 3D modeling space as well? Like that uh, lack of creativity? Uh, um, I'm not a very good drawer okay. myself. I, I do sketches. Uh, like most of my sketches are like very silly or are trying to try to... Like come up with ideas. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, as drawing, 3D art is a skill. Uh, this is a very hard skill that you will have to invest a huge amount of hours to have something. Sure. If you have like a visual uh, mind, like mine, you will take less time to master this skill. Uh, you know, it's all about the time you put into the work. Uh, yeah. There's no secret into it. If you're talented, you will get there faster. If you're not talented, you will get there later on, but you will get there. Uh, I will say that, for example, as an, as an employer, I will look into people that can that are not like high skill masters and they have other social skills. They mm. are they're not top people, but they can communicate in pretty. Mm, For yeah. an employer that's more valuable than someone who is like huge amount of talent but cannot talk with this game or cannot give the feedback because you can get offended or yeah. something like that. Mm. So it's uh, it's like programming, man. It's exactly the same. You you have to put them into a huge amount of hours into it. Yep. And then more hours into it, and then more hours. And yeah. You have something. Mm. Yeah, because for the game jam, I mean, uh, 
we're going to have to do some custom 3D assets, and uh, we're going to have to learn one of these programs and to contribute. <laughs> but yeah. Hey, um, uh, go with something easy. For me, I will tell you, Maya is really easy for me, but I know Blender is free yeah. for, uh, for everybody to use. Uh, but for if, if I was learning, like if I was starting again, I would probably learn again Maya with uh, students' uh, license, which is free. And you can use oh, I see. Yeah. So it, it, you don't have to pay Maya to learn it. Oh, right? okay. uh, but I will also have an eye on, on Blender to, just in case True. things can change. For example, when I was uh, starting, Sustan Painter was not even a thing. Uh, and now it's an industry standard. You have to know and you have to be able to be fluent in it. So it's something that can change over time. Right, right. Okay, well, that, no, that's good, good information. It's encouraging to me. Yeah, <laughs> we did a challenge like a few weeks back amongst like the three of us who are working on our games. Yeah, to see like which one of us is more creative on pen and paper, right? Like we right. just came up with an idea. Like, all right, we got thirty seconds to draw like a robot yeah. eat, licking an ice cream cone. Yeah, go. Yeah, <laughs> so we did it. Oh yeah, that's not, that's actually with practice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's how we determine which one of us is like the most artistically creative. So like who gets who gets the role? Who's gonna learn how to become a three D artist? Right, right, right. <laughs> I think all of us equally are yeah, as we bad. Weren't, yeah, we weren't that good. <laughs> yeah, so but that's yeah, why I asked the you question. You guys should get a designer on, on your team. Yeah, yeah, we do need uh, one for sure. <laughs> that's the that's the easy route. <laughs> Just hire somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Daniel. Yeah, uh, oh, another thing I would like to tell you is that we are always looking for more work. So if there is always listening. Oh, for sure. How do they? How do, What's the best way to contact you? Is it just Polygonal Mind on Twitter? Yeah, you can contact us on Twitter or drop us a line to our website, the spreadsheet. Okay, no, it's, excellent. It's pretty easy to find us. Uh, just at Polygonal Mind, and we're very active in Twitter, so we will see it for sure. Yeah, so if anyone needs digital work, uh, 3D assets, go to polygonalmind.com or or um, contact them through Twitter at Polygonal Mind, and uh, hopefully they'll be able to um, help you out with any any of that stuff that you might need. Especially for us, we need some some work for Decentraland. That's for sure. Oh yeah, um, we might be getting access to a, a large set of parcels, and uh, we, we won't be able to do all that on, on our own. So mm-hmm. you'll be probably hearing from us, Daniel. Nice. <laughs> All right. Thank you for coming and uh, thank you guys for watching. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Blockrunner podcast. Make sure you visit our website, theblockrunner.com, and sign up to stay up to date on the latest in crypto. Also, reach out to us on Twitter at theblockrunner. So yeah, um, this is a excellent conversation. Um, I will be putting this together uh, probably tomorrow. Hopefully, get it out on Monday, so it'll be on YouTube and on podcast. Okay. And uh, so, so yeah, as I'll let you know when it comes out, and I'll just uh, tweet at you or send it to you on Discord. Yeah, sure. I'm very active on Discord, so uh, just tell me whatever you're ready. We will also like to tweet it and post it on our social media. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Daniel, quick question. Um, me and me will always talk about, like, you know, we love the whole idea of VR, but neither of us have ever tried it. Yeah. Um, like, oh. for, for mostly for financial reasons. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
what do you recommend? Like, as far as if we are to purchase a, a rig or something, which platform should we start with? The, the Oculus or should we just go straight to the Vive or which okay. is the best experience? Um, I guess if you're new and you don't want to later on to see if it is for you, I will try the Oculus Quest because it's the Quest. cheaper. Yeah. Neos, yeah. Here's the thing. I think the, the being able to move really without the cable mm-hmm. is more powerful than having high-end detail or screen because yeah. it's so fun. Yeah, I, I've tried VR and I, I I play VR every day, right? But I still have the cords here. Like yeah. I'm, I still have to be aware of if I'm misstepping or if I'm going to fall because of the cables or if I'm going to, you know, break my computer because, you know, being able to just put your headset and move freely without uh, being concerned of these things is just amazing. It's, yeah. it's way better than having more detail in your screen or more powerful device interesting as there, there's obvious differences right as far as visual because it's cheaper i'm assuming the gra- the rendering yeah, it's, is it's like uh it's like if you take the most powerful phone in the market yeah. and then you take it and use it as a VR device oh okay well, that makes, makes sense, sense right so, yeah yeah so with quest can you play like all the mainstream vr games that are out there yeah if they are ported yes oh okay. it is, uh, for Oculus quest you need to have uh, high-end optimization. Okay. So some of them are optimized. Uh, I will say the best game you can buy in VR is Beat Saber. That yes, Saber. that's the one I've been wanting to try so bad. Yeah. It looks awesome. <laughs> it's just the best game. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, yeah. No, that that was helpful. I, I we we appreciate that because we're looking to getting a a rig. We just didn't know which one, and yeah, was it worth it to uh, spend a thousand dollars or or not? That's the thing. With with four hundred and fifty, you can know if you are into VR and also have a powerful thing that is going to be fun to use. Yeah. And if later on you want to go into more uh, high end experiences, you can also always uh, buy that later on. Or yeah, you know, instead be, of hmm. spending one thousand on one thousand. So with the with the Quest, do you need a compatible CPU like a? No, 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 no. That's the thing. It's, it's built in. Oh, it's alone. built in. Okay. It's Excellent. almost it's like buying a console essentially that okay. you wear. Yeah, that's the thing. You you buy it and then you charge it and just you plug it in your. Uh, Ooh, dude, we have to get it now. Yeah, let's get that. We have to. <laughs> that sounds like the best one to get. For yeah. Sure. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, appreciate <laughs> it. Let's <laughs> settle that debate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, we'll let you get back to work. Uh, thank you for for coming, okay. man. I appreciate it. No worries, guys. All right. Bye-bye. All right, man. Later. Bye.